Well, good morning. It certainly is good to be back. As Jim said, it's good to see your smiling faces, and it truly is that. Sometimes after Sunday after Sunday, church never becomes mundane, but it becomes normal. Then when you miss it for seven weeks, you look forward to getting back with each everyone again. If you are like me, you, uh, you will admit it was good to uh, Sunday morning grab your chair and prop up your feet. A one mother said, you know, getting up and getting your children together, kind of rushing around. And so we enjoyed that. Now we enjoyed a 10 o'clock start. And uh, yeah, I think we all agree life is, life is good. There are some positive things to this, although there are very few. <clears throat> Clarif- clarification on Jim there. Uh, we had a picture hanging on the wall or something hanging on the wall. And we took that down to, for the, that's where we were watching. And it happened to be a screw right there. And when the picture was snapped, the screw happened to be, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> set of the man's forehead. So <laughs> don't think that we were picking on our pastor. That is not the case whatsoever. But uh, we did. Uh... <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to every mother here this morning. It's good to uh, see you all here. 106 years ago on May 14th, which was yesterday, 1914, President uh, Woodrow Wilson proclaimed the second Sunday of Mother's Day, second Sunday of May is Mother's Day. Why? As a public expression of love and reverence to the mothers of our country. Uh, I think we all agree that we don't just wait till second Sunday of May to thank our mothers, but that's something we do, supposed to do each and every day of our lives. Exodus 20, verse 12, we are commanded, honor our father and our mother. To honor our parents is to reverence them, show them respect. We hold an inward esteem of them, and outwardly we express upon all occasions our proper conduct towards them. Something we don't do a lot, but I'm going to start with a poem. William Ross Wallace, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Blessings on the hand of women. Angels guard its strength and grace. In the palace, cottage, hovel, oh, no matter where the place. Would that never storms assailed it. Rainbows ever gently curled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Infant sees the tender fountain. Power may with beauty flow. Mothers first to guide the streamlets. From them souls unresting grow. Grow on for the good or evil. Sunside sunshine streamed or evil hurled for the hand that rocks the cradle is a hand that rules the world the third one third verse women how divine your mission we'll come back to that here upon our natal side keep oh keep the young heart open always to the breath of god all true trophies of the ages are from mother love imperiled for the hand that rocks the cradle is a hand that rules the world Blessings on the hand of women, fathers, sons, and daughters cry, and the sacred song is mingled with the worship in the sky. Mingles where no tempest darkens, rainbows evermore are hurled, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. William Wallace seemed to understand the value of a godly mother along with the value of the mother's mission. He said, women, how divine your mission. He noted that it's the mother 
that's able to keep a child's heart open to the hand to the breath of God. What a value of a mother's heart. And then a man named Emerson, I'm sure it was not Emerson Musser, but he said, men are what mothers made them. There's a lot of truth to that as well. What we see here in that is the impact of the mother's hand. The responsibility of raising children falls both on the mother and on the father. And what a great responsibility is. It's not one to be taken casually, but the poem speaks loudly to the one that takes care of the young child, ultimately rules the world. And we, you can look at that poem in different in different ways, and while it's obvious it did not come directly from, from the Bible, from the Word of God, but one message is clearly printed in there over and over again, that a mother leaves a lasting impact on the heart of her children. And I understand, I've been there, raising children, training them, raising them, there are times of discouragement, times when you're wondering if the direction that you're given is actually getting through, but if you're a young mother here this morning, take heart to the proverb. Proverb writer gives us some encouragement in a familiar verse, and we know it by heart. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So we see there some consistency in training and raising our children. This morning, we're going to look at two mothers for the first two points, and then for the third point, another verse that reveals what, what I trust is a desire for every mother or parent that's here this morning. And I hope you didn't come here this morning saying, oh, well, I'll go because he opened up again, but it's Mother's Day, it's nothing for me. But I trust we can all learn from these verses, not just for the mothers, but everyone. And maybe you don't have, have children to draw, uh, directly uh, apply the points to, but I believe there is someone who could benefit from your prayers. There is someone who could use your encouragement. And maybe you're the person that God is calling to get alongside that someone and help them through life. So I trust that each one this morning will be encouraged, and as we go, we will have a desire to leave a lasting impact on another's heart. The message child this morning is uh, a mother's heart, and there are three points, as I said. One number one is for this child I prayed. Point number two is, Jesus, may my child sit beside you. And point number three, no greater joy. So if you think about them points, you probably know exactly where we're going. But for the first point, for this child I prayed, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. In 1 Samuel 1, we have the story of Elkanah and his wife Hannah. If you have your Bibles open, you'll see in, in verse 2 that Hannah had no children. This was a, a very difficult time for her. If you move down to uh, verse 6, we'll see that the Lord had shut up her womb. So we'll kind of zero in here, starting at verse 9. One evening after supper, while they were in Shiloh, Hannah walks over to the temple to pray, in, in verse 9. And she's in deep anguish and crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. Her heart yearned for a son. And as she was praying, she made a promise to the Lord. Look at verse 11. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me 
and not forget thine handmaid, but will give thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. So she starts with, Lord, if. Uh, if you will look down, if you will notice my situation, and answer my prayer, Lord, and give me a son. And let's not overlook I should, how she prayed. Lord, please see me here. Answer my prayer. Bless me with the son. And she was crying as she prayed. And she was being very, very specific. And I trust we can, if you can pause there for a second and allow this to motivate us in our prayer time with the Lord. Yeah, she started with the word if, but she poured out her request to the Lord asking for exactly what she wanted. Her request was clear and her, her um, desire was directly pointed. It's almost as if she was like a child standing on a sidewalk looking through the window of the department store and pointing out and saying, Mom, Dad, I want that, and pointing exactly to what she wanted. That's, that's how I almost think that she was um, praying here. She said, Lord, she, I mean, she didn't say, just give me a child. She said, I want a son. It just kind of given, telling her exactly what she would like to have. Lord, take note of my affliction. Lord, don't forget about me. And maybe we, I, become a little bit too timid in our prayers to the Lord sometimes. But when we look at this situation right here, we're like, maybe we could step, maybe I could step them up a little bit. But can we, is it wrong to ask for exactly what we want? We ask for healing, which is good for people, and we pray for people. But look at this here. She's saying, Lord, give me a man child. Just a thought. When we think about how some of these Old Testament people can give us some clear examples, just let me read a few verses from Joshua. And um, we think about what we ask for. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said. These forty and five years, ever since the Lord spake unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now I am four scores and five years old. So he's 85. And yet I am as strong this day as it was in the day that Moses set me. And as my strength was then, even so is my strength now. For war, both to go out and to come in. Joshua, he's not a quitter. And now he said, a familiar verse to all, he said, Now, now therefore, give me this mountain. And when we think about how we pray to God and what we're asking for, we think about Hannah, how Hannah prayed. She said, Lord, give me a man-child. Give me a son. And here Joshua said, Lord, give me the mountain. And hopefully I can encourage us all, you know what? Maybe I could just be more specific in my prayer time. Therefore, give me this mountain where the Lord spake of them that day. For thou heardest in that day, have Anakins were there, that their cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Wow. Joshua said, give me this mountain. Uh, I think the Bible tells us the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man of Ellis much, and both of these prayers obviously were fervent. Hannah, her prayer was, Lord, if you will give me a son, this will I do. And she said, Lord, I will give him back to you. She was not asking for a child for selfish desire nor for personal gain. She said, you bless me with the son, Lord, and I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And she says, I will not cut his hair. It was approved custom for those who were wholly dedicated to the Lord uh, back in the Bible times. Let me clarify that. Today is a little bit different. Mothers, I trust this is our desire for our children. May our children grow to be used by the Lord for his will and so he could, our children can bless others. There was no selfishness in her heart and no hidden motive. First of all, she wanted the Lord to take note of her, her situation. Then she wanted to bear a son to be used for the work of the Lord. If we read in uh, 
verse 14, the priest Eli was watching her there. And at first, she, uh, he thought she was intoxicated. But she assured him that she was just praying. And Eli said this in verse 17. After she said, told Eli that she, had not, she is not drunk, she, he said, Then Eli also answered her and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And we can stop there for a little bit. If we read, we see that Hannah was praying, her lips were moving, but she was not talking. So I, I look at that and say, Eli didn't know what she was asking for, but he said, go in peace and God grant you your petition. Uh, verse 20, if we move along here, Samuel was born. That's where we go to verses 26, 27, and 28. And she said, O oh my Lord, as thy, my soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I ask of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord, as long as he liveth. He shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. For this child, I pray, the Lord had answered her prayer. Excuse me. Mothers, along with Hannah, I'm sure you, you pray for your children. If, if William Wallace said the Hannah Rocks creator uh, rules the world, imagine what a child can accomplish who has a mother praying for them. Prayer is such a vital part of the believer's life. God has sovereignly chosen to, uh, to change and do certain things through those that pray. Let's not minimize the effects of prayer. And the question could be asked, who is counting on your faithful prayers today? There's a story told about underwater divers who worked during World War II. And as the fighting raged above water, they performed their work underwater. And while at work, their only connection to the world was an airline, which was hooked up to an air pump. And while the underwater divers did their work, a man was stationed right beside the pump to make sure the pump continued to work, continued to pump air down to the divers. And if this man would have left his post, the divers would have been at risk if the pump quit pumping air to the to divers' lungs. And God has stationed people in key places. While some may go, quote, underwater, unquote, and work at bringing down the strongholds of the enemy, others have been assigned to pray for them. What prayer is, prayer is the life support system that requires our devotion. You know, all over the world, God's workers are at war with the powers of darkness. So prayer wars, don't forsake your post and keep the air coming. Mothers, be encouraged. The Lord heard Anna's prayer, Hannah's prayer, and he answered her prayer and blessed her. And she, in return, held true to her promise and gave her son for the work of the Lord. If you're not a mother here this morning, think about someone who needs the Lord. Think about someone who could use your prayers. Pray for him or her and be specific in your prayer. Ask the Lord to move this person and draw him to yourself. And be open in telling the Lord that you're going to do your part. Lord, I'll be a clear witness for this person, guiding him or her and showing them the way to Jesus Challenge here is make a lasting impact on a hurting or a searching soul. So you might say, I'm not a mother. Let's make an impact on, on a soul. If you look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, we'll see Hannah's prayer of joy. She goes on and on, rejoicing and praising God for answering her prayer. So think about that. Our prayers may include specific requests, like Hannah did here, but also remember to include words of praise for the prayers that he has answered. 
for the second point, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 20, just for, for two verses here. Matthew 20, and the second point, of child, Jesus has made my child sit beside you. Matthew 20, verse 20 and 21. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. Salome, the mother of James and John, approached Jesus with a unique question. And later, if we, if we continue to read, Jesus used this question to declare the law of true greatness. According to verse 24, we see the other ten disciples, the Bible says they were moved with indignation. They were not impressed and some hard feelings arose. Her question is often criticized. Her question is not one that we want to use as an example. And if you do research on, on these verses, you'll find out that James and John actually told her mom to kind of convince her to go ask this question. And if you look at it from that angle, there's not a whole lot of good that could come from this. But we're going to take it and just look at it, not twist it, but look at it from a different angle. Look at it from a mother's heart and not a selfish motive. And when we do that, the scene changes. The desire of this mother's heart could be that she wants her boys close to Jesus. So I will admit the question was strange, but the desire may have been sincere. Lord, I want my boys close to your side. And I believe every godly mother has that same desire for her children today. Think about what is truly important in life. Above everything else, you know, that set aside our goals and our agendas, I think we would agree the primary goal for our children is that they desire a close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anything of greater importance? Wednesday morning, I was in Maryland, and a few minutes early for my appointment, and I, I swung into a church parking lot, uh, just looking for the paperwork, and the, this church was on a, a quiet back road, and sitting there, only a car or two passed. Uh, it was raining, if you can kind of get the picture. And after doing a little bit of paperwork, I, I looked across the street, and, and there was the church's cemetery. Gravestone sticking up out of the yard, as, as we see out here. And again, I repeat, the rain was falling, and there was not, at the, at the moment, there was not much else to do to sit there and look. But my mind, I had to think. There's a possibility that someday my body would be laid in the grave. Then I wondered, am I doing enough for the Lord? Am I doing enough for the Lord? Am I doing what is truly important? Am I taking the time to do what I'm called to do? Because the fact remains that only... After a person passes on, only what's done for the Lord will have lasting effects. And I understand this is Mother's Day, it's not a funeral service, but the point is that this mother's desire for her boys was not all bad. Or am I, are you, are your children sitting at the feet of Jesus, drinking in his word? Is there any other place you desire for your children to be other than at the feet of Jesus? Luke 10, you don't have to turn there, but here we have the story of Mary and Martha on one of the days that Jesus came to visit them. 
and we know it well. Martha was just hurrying, scurrying about, uh, getting food preparation, getting the meal ready, and maybe she was a little bit more like us than we cared to admit, but she was not pleased that her sister was not helping. Her sister Mary was sitting there at the feet of Jesus, so she went to Jesus thinking that possibly Jesus was going to side with her in this matter and tell her sister to help with the work. But I think Jesus surprised Martha a little bit when he answered and said, you know, Martha, you're careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. So sometimes if, if you're busy doing something and someone's supposed to be helping, they are not, you know, you understand where Martha was at, but look at it. Jesus is saying, one thing is needful. The one thing needed is the grace of God for our salvation. When we come to the end of life's journey, the only thing that's going to matter, that's going to count, is whether or not we have accepted God's offer of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I know we get caught up with the busyness of, today's in, of life today. That's the only thing that's going to matter. Other things may be convenient and helpful, desirable and useful, but there is one thing that we cannot do without. There is one thing we cannot do without, that is a saving faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way, the Lord wants all of us to imitate Mary in our worship and Martha in our work. And blessed are those who, who, who achieve the balance. The point is there must be balance between the busyness of life and the need for meditation at Jesus' feet. When we are close by his side, when we are following his directions, what's going to happen? Our lives are going to be changed. Following the example of our master will lead us to greater heights. So I hope and trust I didn't take the motive behind uh, Salome's and James and John's thought here and twist it. And, but I hope you understand that there is a, a desire here from a mother's heart. And that is that I trust that we have it this morning is, Lord, may my children sit uh, beside you. And now we're going to go to 3 John for the third point. And it, it's just uh, the one verse, 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. John was not writing to mothers. Mothers is not even mentioned in this verse. He was writing to a man at this time. But I'm confident that every, every godly mother has this verse memorized. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. No greater joy. There are many things in life today that could bring a smile to your face and joy to your heart. And that, them things depend on the age of the individual, but I appreciate the thought. Although many things in life will brighten our day, many things in life will put a smile on your face. But above all, I believe it's the thing that will make us bring the greatest joy is as we as parents stand back and just watch as our children walk with Jesus. And right now you may be thinking there's a lot of high priorities in your mind, think that I got to take care of, but is there anything greater of a, a greater priority than having our children walk with Jesus? As we go through life on this side of eternity, we have many things that we call ours. And just for a few, you know, we have our home, we have our vehicles, our, our, some of us have fishing rods, many of us have sewing machines, women, 
We have lawnmowers if you have a yard. And those things are ours, so let's so we call them that. They belong to us. We purchased them. We paid for them. We maintain them. They're ours. And most of those things we need. All is good, but light of it all, there's only one thing, and I like to call it thing, but there's only but the souls of our family and friends is all that we can take along with us to heaven. That, that's it. Nothing else. Everything else is going to stay left behind. So are we putting our focus on things that need focus? Are we, are we striving to do what is right and just putting our priorities at, in check? You know, when we look at it from that angle, everything, our heart should be filled with joy, exceeding joy, Above all other joy, when we see our children walking with the Lord. Parents, are we doing our part in, in seeing that happen? I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in truth. What does walk in truth mean? In John 18, 38, Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? But he didn't wait for an answer. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. What we see here is eternity is waiting for those who sit at the feet of Jesus, recognize him as the Lord and master of their life. To walk in truth is to walk with Jesus Christ. To walk with Jesus Christ is similar to walking behind your friend through the sand, trying to mimic their footsteps. And we, we concentrate on trying to walk exactly where they had walked. And that's how it is with Christ. We want to walk exactly in, in his footsteps as he leads us. He's never going to lead us astray. He'll lead us home. And there are times we need to wade through the valley, but bright, sunny, mountaintop experiences await. How are we walking? Use a few verses in Scripture here to, to check our walk. Colossians 1.10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's a lot to consider here. First of all, is our walk worthy of the Lord? in a manner uh, consistently or every way pleasing to God as we go about through our lives, does our walk please the Lord? A wise man once said, speaking of, of weddings, he said the wedding should be conducted in a way, and just not word for word, the wedding should be conducted in a way that the couples or the bride and groom's grandma will not be embarrassed to be there. Maybe you heard that before. So I asked the question, is our walk of life embarrassing God or is he pleased by our conduct. Are we walking worthy of the Lord? Then it's saying, being fruitful in every good work. Here we see diligence. We need to be fully surrendered to the Lord. And our ultimate goal is to be pleasing Him in all things and producing good fruit. Increasing the knowledge of God. How is this attained? by a close walk with the Lord's required here to gain a better understanding of Him. Colossians 4.5 says, Walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. In wisdom. Does this describe our daily walk? 1 Thessalonians 4.12 That ye may walk honestly towards them that are without, that ye have lack of nothing. An honest walk, the absence of deceit, completely honest and transparent. Is that describing you and me this morning? 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Are we walking in the light? And when we do that, walking with Christ will we'll cast a positive light on our relationship with others. 
will have fellowship one with another. Light, obviously, is the absence of darkness. There's a few verses in Romans, Romans 6, 4, even so we should walk in newness of life. Romans 8, 1, walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Romans 8, 4, again, walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Romans 13, 13, walk honestly. Are you walking in the truth? And I trust that each one here this morning is walking with the Lord on this Mother's Day. In conclusion, mothers, continue to pray for your children. As we saw in Hannah's example, pray for your children. Others, think about someone or a family who needs prayer and lift them up to the Lord, asking the Lord to draw them to himself. Mothers, may your heart desire, may your heart desire that your children are sitting at the feet of Jesus. Others here this morning, take time to reach out to someone and show them the blessing of sitting at the feet of the master. And mothers, I trust your hearts are filled with joy as you observe your child's walk with the Lord. And to the rest, walk with the Lord, bless your mother's heart, and fill her heart with joy. Thank you for coming out this morning. When we make an announcement that we're going to start, we weren't sure uh, how many would show. But... Uh...